Hello and welcome to the UFO Thinker podcast. My name is Frank and let's get cracking. So I'm actually kind of back now. I've sort of been away. Some people may know and others may not, but basically I've last few weeks I've been I had some pre-recorded episodes which I've been uh, using for the podcast. Had them already scheduled to go out on the Fridays as usual to try and keep the to kind of like the routine going uh, but I've actually been away uh, from recording for a few weeks because there was um, the the arrival of my little daughter who was born and um, yeah so that was the reason that I've not been doing the, the weekly podcast as normal and it's turned out that it was quite an eventful couple of weeks typical isn't it you know um, when you actually step away and have to take care of some real life matters literally you know everything kicks off and uh, <laughs> there's been some pretty intense stuff going on this last couple of weeks so um basically i'm gonna have a little bit of a explain about what happened with my daughter being born so just in case there's anybody who's not really so keen on hearing about that for, for whatever reason you might want to just skip a couple of minutes um and then you can get into the ufo related stuff but there's been a few people asking things so i just thought i'd go into it so basically my daughter was due at the beginning of november it turns out that she was actually uh, delivered a little bit early um and um it was something that was quite heavily weighing on me for a long time, to be honest, um, because we had some certain complications with the birth of our first daughter. And ever since we found out, you know, we were going to be having another child, it was something that I was a bit worried about. Um, but um, my wife is an absolute warrior and, and kind of just battled through it. And, um, you know, luckily everything went pretty well. Uh, if anything, it went slightly better than the first time. And uh, very relieved and happy um, to to welcome daughter number two into the world. And um, just really, really happy that everything went okay. And it seems that my wife's recovering well and uh, our little little baby girl is doing okay. And she's, um, she's home. They're both home from the hospital now and um, kind of quite, quite keen to get back to a bit of, bit of normality, really. So thanks so much for everybody who sent me messages about that because, honestly, it was quite overwhelming, really. Um, all the well wishes and, and people kind of, you know, saying lots of really nice things and especially at that, that moment in time when, you know, it's quite a turbulent moment, quite a lot of stress and a lot of, you know, various different things to consider. Uh, it was just really nice to, to you know, see the... Uh, the outpouring of, of well wishes and people um you know getting in touch about that so again thanks very much for everybody who, who has been in touch so on to the events of the last couple of weeks then as i say i've been kind of still digging into the news and i still listen to the podcast that i usually do in fact probably listen to more podcasts and things than ever really this week uh, or these last few weeks because i've been driving to and from the hospital quite a lot and it's actually about 45 to an hour drive uh from uh, from my house to the hospital so perfect opportunity to get some podcast listening in which i have been doing so the main things that have happened then um we've had 
some pretty significant Lou Elizondo interviews uh, over the course of the last few weeks. And as I'm recording this as well, um, last night, I believe it was, um, there was a Theories of Everything uh, podcast interview with Lou Elizondo. So that's Kurt Jaimungle um, uh, on his channel, Theories of Everything. And it's uh, two hours and 40 minutes or something, one of the typical Kurt Jaimungle mega interviews. And um, I didn't actually get a chance to see it last night, but I've been seeing a lot of what people have been talking about and that one uh, sounds like it was some quite important uh, questions and answers involved with that so I definitely recommend by the time you listen to this it'll probably already be out <clears throat> so I highly recommend that you go and, and have a listen to that and I will be doing as well possibly going to actually uh, go break down what was talked about in that interview because from what I've seen of the quotes I wouldn't like to speculate too much without seeing the full interview but what I've seen of the little snippets that people have been posting it sounds like there's some very interesting um, bits and pieces in there but actually over the last few weeks there's also been a couple of other uh, pretty interesting interviews with, with Lou Elizondo as well so I think we'll just kick off with that um, and the, the one I'm thinking about is actually rebellious, rebelliously curious um, with Chrissy Newton. Now, the only problem with this one is I've been trying to find it, um, but I, I can't actually find where it's available. It may be, I'll try and find that as, as we speak. I think it's only available on the debrief website. Um, I was looking on YouTube for it, but no matter what I searched on YouTube, I couldn't find it. So I just saw somebody link to it on Twitter and click through, and I think it was one of those embedded videos. I, I can't find it on YouTube, but I'm sure if you go to the debrief website, you may be able to find it. So that's uh, Chrissy Newton, and um, she did an interview, really interesting interview with Lou Elizondo. And it was a it was a relatively short interview. It wasn't one of the mega ones like Kurt does. But there were a lot of very interesting questions and it touched on quite a few other things as well, kind of outside of the UFO topic, like the tensions between the US and China and how all that plays in. And to be honest, that's something I've really wanted to hear what Luella Zondo thought about in more depth. And that kind of the interview sort of opens with some discussion about the tensions in the world at the moment and how that, you know, potentially could affect things and so on which I thought was very interesting. And and what Lou was actually talking about on the interview, I mean, again, you have to kind of check out the whole thing really to get the full picture of it. But what he was talking about is kind of like an option C, you know, which is basically instead of like the options being like you go to war with China or, you know, you just let China do what it wants to do and things like that. What if there's another option where where everybody actually works together on this UAP issue kind of a la Ronald Reagan's famous quote that he gave of, you know, nothing would unite humanity more than to discover that actually, you know, there's some kind of other, other you know, intelligence out there in the universe. And, um, yeah, I thought it was very interesting. And Lou's suggestion that the US may actually reveal some kind of cooperative effort to sort of entice China, you know, to, or, and Russia as well, really, um, to actually cooperate on this issue because the thing is is that Taiwan is a massively resource rich area of the world and I think that's you know something that's often touted as being China's interest but you know if UFO technology or something that we can you know derive from UFO technology or the study of just UAP in general if if that turns out that it is actually more lucrative 
you know, than than anything that they could possibly benefit from in Taiwan. You know, maybe they'll they'll go for that, and there can be some kind of cooperative effort to bring everybody together uh, that they can focus on getting this UAP technology. Now, it's a, it's an interesting thought, and I would love to think that there's already an effort underway behind the scenes to kind of some kind of an alliance of Russia, China, and the states. You know, the UK, and you know, all the the major world powers to band together and to figure this thing out. But I just, I, I don't know. I mean, it just seems, I mean, obviously Lou Elizondo knows a lot better about things like that than I do probably, but it just struck me as, you know, it, I, I question the logic of it a little bit because whenever there's some kind of new technology to be had or some kind of new discovery that everybody's striving for, if you look at history, it's never really been the case that... Um, people have banded together and, and united towards a common goal you know if you like the moon landings was it actually intensified the competition between the us and russia you know things like covid if you look at covid very recent thing that's happened it's not necessarily banded everybody together in some cases it turned out there was a limited amount of vaccines available and it kind of sparked like a bidding war of like america wanted to buy all the vaccines and then other countries were like well what if we can't get vaccines that's not fair and and obviously the divisions in society recently brought about because of covid and also because of you know social media and algorithms and all the rest of it i don't know whenever new technologies are available or whenever there's a a new you know breakthrough technology or a, a landmark moment I, I don't know if it necessarily does unite everybody I'd, I'd i would kind of like it to do but i don't know if it in reality it actually would but then again you could argue that there has never been anything as monumental as you know discovering another technology or another civilization intelligence whatever you want to class it as that, that's out there as well as humans so perhaps you know maybe this is so big of a thing that if the u.s can actually put something forward you know that that proves without any shadow of a doubt that look this stuff's out there let's just have some kind of a an amnesty where we all go look you know this is what we know we'll put all our cards on the table and we're all going to work together obviously i would love it to happen because let's be honest if if every single country in the world you know or at least the majority of the the powerful ones that have got the technology to do so and, and things like that if everybody did band together we could figure this thing out way quicker you know or could we i suppose it's an argument isn't it because again a lot of the the technological the huge technological leaps that happened during the world war for example came about as a direct result of like being scared that the other country might figure out things quicker than you so depends which way you want to look at it but I think overall, if everybody did band together to try and figure out what's going on with UFOs, we're definitely going to get further because you've got sheer amount of you know people, technology, everybody's got all the various different parts of the puzzle. You put all that together, and you've got you've got uh, you know hopefully big steps forward. But as I say, I'm just maybe being slightly negative there, but you know it's just my instinctive like realism kicking in of going would it really bring us together i would hope that it would but would it or would it actually just deepen divisions you know you don't know do you i mean it's anyway we'll, we'll see how well that pans out but i'd be interested to hear you know if anybody's got any thoughts on that fire them across you know drop it in my email ufothinker at hotmail.com um 
or just uh, give us a shout on Twitter at UFO Thinker and let me know what, what your thoughts are on that. But another thing that uh, Lou also mentions there is that the US and China are inextricably linked due to their economies and invasions, etc., are not really the way that warfare is done anyway you know these days in a lot of cases it's like sanctions and cyber attacks and you know i think it's fairly likely that unlikely sorry that there will be an an all-out war between the u.s and china because i don't i don't really think that anybody would really gain anything and i think china and the u.s must know that you know if you start to obliterate your opponent you know you're going to get obliterated in the process for a start and also the sheer damage it would do to both economies you know like at the end of the day america buy products from china in an unbelievable amount and also china their biggest customer is the us so it's it's a weird one with the us and china because they're they're at each other's throats but at the same time they really depend on each other but as i say we shall see and at the end of the day none of this stuff actually protects taiwan because obviously you've got Taiwan there that China have vowed to bring back into you know China and to, to bring them into what they see as the homeland and they're, they're convinced that obviously Taiwan is part of, of China and always has been and they're just going to reclaim it whereas Taiwan don't necessarily feel the same way and um, the problem is is that there isn't that kind of inextricable link there uh, between you know China and Taiwan like there is with America and you do have to wonder what's going to happen if they do eventually which kind of seems like a matter of time before they eventually try and you know bring Taiwan back into you know into China as a whole but again we'll see how that all pans out I suppose but the thing is is that China doesn't really have restrictions like western democracies do in terms of having to have certain procedures that they go through and be accountable to the public in the same ways that you do when you're a, a democracy and the thing about china looking into the uap issue is that they don't necessarily have to have you know the public's backing or you know they don't necessarily have to have the same they don't answer to to the people really in the same way you know the government don't have as many restrictions because it's it's not really a democracy in the same way that we are here the government can basically just do whatever they want to do and the people have to go along with it so in some ways that removes some of the barriers to actually looking into things like ufos and the technology that might be behind them and it does make you think you know that's going to play a part in this whole issue i mean it could be that you know the u.s know this and that's why the u.s are now trying to kind of control the conversation because they're aware that china may be actually able to overtake them in, in that issue or it may be as i say as luel zondo stated there that the you know the u.s is kind of aware that there's there's if essentially like a in unavoidable conflict between the the u.s and china is coming up if not in a couple of years in 10 years or 20 years you know it kind of seems like even if there's not an actual military boots on the ground invasion tensions are going to get worse and worse because you've got two powers which are gaining in you know, in, in power and financial power and military power all at the same time. And the U, the US are kind of, you know, China's catching up to them. And, uh, yeah, again, we'll, we'll see how it all plays out, but it does intrigue me the way that China 
you know are approaching the UFO topic because they are in a bit of a different position to to the US and the US have got to be aware of that and Russia's kind of the same as well and again it's like if you listen to what Ross Coltart has said recently and again depends how much faith you put into what Ross Coltart says but me personally I find him to be an extremely credible individual not the type of guy that would just make things up for the sake of it and he suggested from all of the sources that he's spoken to that the US and Russia have technology and in in fact actually he suggested that they've got multiple craft or at least the US have and Russia have got either debris or craft or something you know that resemble you know something close to a craft um, and China are kind of playing catch up so you know again it depends how much faith you actually put into that as 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 being correct but if if that is the case that introduces a slightly different way of looking at it because the us have actually got the upper hand from what ross coltart's saying they're the ones that have made the most breakthroughs or at least as far as we know so it could well be that russia are kind of a, a second place and that china are sort of lagging behind and it has made me think that where's the uk in all of this you know we know about italy there's a lot of things going on in italy at the moment and you know people within certain areas certain organizations within italy are very much pushing for disclosure and i was listening to an interview the other day um on that ufo podcast um with a, a guy that's basically i think he works within government but he also has involvement in a few other um non-governmental ufo organizations icer if i remember rightly and he was talking about how there's Italy have had their own equivalent of Roswell even before Roswell, and um, that there are a lot of um, a lot a lot of organisations within Italy at the moment actually pushing for disclosure. But one thing we don't really hear very much about is the UK. The UK has been completely silent on the UFO topic and just yeah, just keeps going with what it's been doing for decades and just doesn't even acknowledge it as a threat to national security, which is completely the opposite of what's happened in america because obviously in america for the first time you know the dod have actually come out and said look you know this is a threat to national security you know and it's it's something that is an ongoing situation which is a potential threat to our national security in this country whereas the uk seems to be contradicting that so it does make you you make you wonder like when you've got again as as spoke about by ross coltart you've got the americans who've got intact craft possibly certainly have, have got wreckage and then russia have got something close to that and then china are kind of trying to catch up it makes you wonder what's going on with the uk then you know is the uk got stuff but it's just not saying it or is are they way behind or are they kind of in cahoots with the americans and they share a lot of data and information on this kind of thing you'd certainly think that that would be the case you know that the uk would know at least some of what's going on in the states but again it's kind of there must be you know some very small departments with a very select few people who probably know a lot of what's going on in the states and then there might be some slightly bigger departments which know a bit more about what's going on in the states bearing in mind what's going on in the states you know these kinds of things are very vague um terms aren't they and actually the majority of people within the employment of the u.s government probably don't know what's going on in the states on this issue you know what i mean it's that's the danger isn't it when you start talking about like you know 
the government, you know, it's so many people who are involved in the US government and there's probably less than 1% of them know the full extent of what's actually known about this topic, you know, and then there may be like 2 or 3% who know a bit more and then 5 to 10% who know kind of a, a little bit and then there's what the public know is kind of even less than that. So who knows, but... Obviously, something that Lou Elizondo's talked about a lot as well uh, in other interviews is the international cooperation. So hopefully we'll see more of that and hopefully we'll see more of it at the unclassified level as well. So we can actually, as the public, we can actually get involved in this and find out a bit more about it as well. And then something else which uh, Lou had actually mentioned in that particular interview as well, which, as I say, I'm just mentioning a few of the points that really stood out to me here. So I recommend going listening to the full interview or anything that Lou Elizondo uh, does in terms of interviews. is always worth a listen. But one of the other things was um, the UFOs and nukes um, con- connection. As, as we know now, um, if you've been looking into this topic for a little while, there's a significant connection between nuclear weapons and UFOs. And there's recently been, which is going to be my next thing that I'm going to talk about, and there's been a, a press conference actually over the last couple of days with Robert Salas. And Robert Salas is somebody I've mentioned previously on the podcast, and I've been really looking forward to this uh, press conference as well. And you can see it on on YouTube now. If you just type in Bob Salas into YouTube, it's just Bob B O B Salas is S A L A S. And uh, if you go to his channel, the the whole of the press conference is about two and a half hours is on there. And uh, I definitely recommend checking it out if you're interested in in the connection between UFOs and nuclear weapons. But essentially, to kind of uh, to give a bit of a brief summary of, of what actually happened there, Robert Salas was actually one of the people who was working at a, a nuclear missile silo. So uh, basically, at the at a launch station, essentially. So he was in charge of. Uh, you know being the guy who actually presses the button to fire nuclear weapons as and when needed by the country and what happened was there was a, a ufo actually um sighted at the base and exactly that exact moment when that was sighted all of the missiles went offline which is just unheard of because they've all got separate separate guidance systems and for even one of the guidance systems to go off is is quite a rare event you know almost doesn't happen so for all of them to go down at once at the exact moment that they witnessed the UFO on the base is really quite unheard of. And I've heard about his case a lot before. Um, if you listen to some interviews with Robert Salas, you can get a lot more information about the actual ins and outs of it and the specifics of what actually happened. But essentially what Robert Salas has done is put together a, a, a collection of other people who have had similar experiences to what he did and actually organise a press conference to try and get this information out to the world, which I believe was done um, from a fundraising campaign, like a crowdfunding campaign online, and he's managed to actually get all these people together into one room to actually present the cases, and some of them were done uh, online as well. And I think what's really important about this is these are not these are not witnesses that you it's difficult to put faith into. These are people who are you know, very highly respected individuals have had, you know, distinguished careers. And also, these are the people that we put faith into to actually launch nuclear missiles. These are literally the people with the finger on the button, you know. And 
this isn't just one of those. We've got a number of them. You know, we've got people who have been in charge of that red button, you know, to press the most horrific thing, really, that humans have ever created. You know, a device that is capable of ending, you know, hundreds of thousands of lives just with the press of one button. You know, it's a, it's a weapon of mass destruction. And these are the people who have actually been in charge of, of the launch button for these things. And n a number of them, not just one, have actually reported UFOs interfering with nuclear weapons. I mean, that is just such a huge thing that it can't be emphasised enough you know how significant that is if if it really is true which i don't really see any reason to doubt these people you know if it is true it's absolutely huge you know other intelligences from somewhere else in the universe or from somewhere that we don't even understand like another dimension or whatever it is are actually interfering with our most powerful weaponry you know what is that you know what what message are they trying to send to us but anyway, let me move on to uh, the, the next person who I wanted to talk about, which is Dr. Robert Jacobs. And he's one of the first uh, on the press conference that Bob Salas actually put together. He's one of the first uh, people who speaks about it. And I've heard of his story before, um, but I actually found the particular talk that he gave as part of the press conference is particularly interesting just because i don't know i've heard bits of it here and there and it's been reported in the past in mainstream news but this was really one of those where you know he went into it in a lot more detail and just gave a continuous story quite a long talk about exactly what happened and essentially in 1964 he was uh, in charge of the observing um as part of a, a hundred man unit um to photograph you know with very high speed you know instruments and observation equipment an atlas missile launch and it was like an experimental uh rocket and what it was is like there's different stages of the rocket as it launches and then what happens is right at the kind of the edge of of space uh, the actual uh, it's like a, a chaff is launched which is designed to kind of mask what's going on chaffs like little tiny pieces of uh, material that gets thrown out of the of the rocket and then a, a, like a, a warhead comes out of that and then he's actually able to drop down onto whatever target now the particular test that he was actually in charge of observing was a dummy warhead but what it actually was was they got some kind of extremely advanced telescope and they were observing the rocket and as it goes along they have to train the actual observation equipment onto the rocket just to be able to observe exactly what happens and it turns out that they inadvertently caught a ufo on on their equipment on their observation equipment which they didn't find out at the time but he found out i think it was the day after or something he was called into an office and was shown this footage and what it was is basically this dummy warhead comes out of the rocket and um, as it's going along, a disc, which very interestingly is a, is a flat saucer type shaped disc 
and it's one of the the ones I've heard described before, which is kind of like a saucer shape with something that resembles a ping pong. So like in the middle of it, it's like a little rounded bit that pokes up right in the middle of the saucer. And other than that, it's quite flat. And he says what the uh, what the UFO actually did is fire some kind of beam of light or some laser or something into the the top of the dummy warhead, and then kind of moves around the dummy warhead, firing uh, several more beams at the thing and then just shoots off just as quickly as it arrived the ufo that is um and then essentially it was is rendering the the dummy warhead you know useless at that point and i just thought that was an absolutely fascinating account and you know the 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 uh, officers in charge of dr robert jacobs at that particular time you know told him in absolutely no uncertain terms that he's never to speak of it and what really um kind of horrified me in a way was uh, he was talking about years later uh, he was short of cash and he had to um, basically figure out a way of making some money so he sold his ufo story to a, a newspaper i think he said it was or some kind of a um you know a media outlet to make a bit of money and following that, he had essentially death threats, constant harassment on the phone from unknown callers, um, culminating in a, something which happened where basically he was on the phone. He'd been out all day, apparently, and he gets home and, and his phone rings and it's this guy swearing at him, threatening him, basically, the same person who he's been in the past. And just as he was on the phone to him, his letterbox actually, you know, it's like one of those mailboxes like they have in the States where it's not actually attached to the house. It's at the end of your driveway. We, we don't have those in the UK, really, unless you're extremely posh and you live in a in a country mansion or something but um in the states i think there's a lot more room so more people have those kinds of things uh, but anyway so what it was is the is his mailbox actually exploded while he was on the phone so we're talking about very severe harassment here and i think what he's getting at is that this, this harassment that he's suffering is to basically threaten him into keeping quiet about his story and um again is one of those where it's it's all down to how much faith you put into the individual but i just get a gut feeling about him you can, he's got a seriousness to the way he's talking you can see in his eyes you know i don't think he's particularly made a lot of money you know he sold that story just one time to make a bit of spare cash he's not made a career out of this you know he just lives out in the mountains now he's an old man what what use would he have for for saying something like this you know and that's the thing with a lot of these people they don't necessarily make a lot of money out of it there are people who have made money in the ufo world but it tends not to be you know the, these guys the ex-military people in, in some ways they kind of wished they'd never seen what they saw uh, you know in a lot of cases that i've been looking into because obviously you know it can give you severe you know severe mental things to consider over the years afterwards can't it and in in some ways i think a lot of these guys would just like to live a normal life and crack on with retirement and you know just do normal things but having witnessed something like that it would change your life forever you know even Lou Elizondo, you know, he, he's never actually witnessed anything, or at least none that he's mentioned so far. But just the the things that he's heard, seen, and been told, you know, you can't just, oh, you know, go and play a bit of golf when you know the very question of our reality could be profoundly different to what you've ever thought, you know. But anyway, um, it kind of leads me back that to. Um, 
what Lou Elizondo was was talking about, going back to the rebellious, rebelliously curious uh, Chrissy Newton interview. And in that, he was actually asked about the UFOs and nukes connection. And he said that, uh, and, and also Robert Jacobs, who I was just talking about, who witnessed the uh, the UFO interfering with the, the test warhead. Um, one of the first things that he actually says is he wants to say thank you to Robert Hastings, who is uh, an author of UFOs and Nukes, and I think there was a film made of that as well. Um, and Lou Elizondo says in that Christian Newton interview that ATIP were able to validate Robert Hastings' book through intelligence reporting, and that's pretty much word for word what Lou Elizondo says. And his book actually had some things that ATIP didn't know. Uh, which is which is amazing, you know, to me to think that this guy Robert Hastings has managed to find things out that ATIP didn't weren't even aware of. It, Lou also says that there's things that you know that Robert Hastings didn't know that ATIP did know as well. So it kind of it's going to work both ways, isn't it? But yeah, very very interesting. And the fact is that you know UFOs, according to various witness accounts, have been interfering with nuclear weapons and i've heard lou elizondo say a number of times that what is communication you know like people say well what if we could communicate with these you know ufos these extraterrestrials and things like that and, and lou elizondo has said in the past well you can communicate with a lot of other methods other than just words and you know maybe UFOs are communicating with us when they, they interfere with nuclear weapons. Maybe that's the whole point of why they interfere is because they're trying to send a message, they're trying to tell us something, you know? Who knows? I mean, again, it's something that I'd be interested to hear if any, any listeners have got any thoughts about why they interfere with weapons because it's not always just the case that they turn them off like happened to robert salas and like you know essentially kind of the same thing has happened there to dr robert jacobs there's actually been cases in the past where they've turned them on you know initiated launches and things like that and um they never actually launched one as far as i'm aware but you know it's not always that they're trying to you know directly send us the message that you know we're going to shut down your nuclear weapons because the other thing that that kind of occurred to me when i was listening to the interview and the press conference in general because it's all about ufos and nukes the press conference the other thing that occurred to me is where were they then when the bomb was dropped on nagasaki and hiroshima they didn't stop that did they and that's the thing you know it opens up a, a, a whole can of worms in terms of if ufos are around us all the time and they're here they've been here for potentially thousands of years you know they're supposedly interfering with nuclear weapons why are they interfering with nuclear weapons because it doesn't really make sense to me that they're, they're trying to i've heard a lot of people saying the analogy of they're trying to stop the kids from playing with matches you know but are they because they've let us do hundreds and hundreds of nuclear tests you know they've not stopped any of them or maybe they've stopped some but i mean they've clearly not been successful in stopping tests because many 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 tests have, have happened and if it was the case that perhaps our nuclear tests here on this planet in this reality that we can see affects other realities or other dimensions well it wouldn't really make any difference to the ufo intelligences whether or not people died you know so nuclear tests nobody no humans actually die as a result but surely if there is some kind of knock-on effect to other realities or dimensions or whatever the nuclear tests would have just as much of an impact as what dropping them on a city full of people would so 
the the if there are UFOs or other intelligences that have actually um you know been concerned about the fact that we do nuclear detonations they've certainly not been very effective in stopping us from doing detonations and not only that they didn't stop the actual bombs from being dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki you know some people have said that maybe it was to allow us to witness you know the true horror of it but again the true horror of it I suppose it stopped any any other nuclear weapons being used in conflicts ever since but you know it, it, it i don't know it doesn't really add up to me that they would if if they're so kind of keen to send a message to us about nuclear weapons you know they, they could probably have quite easily disabled these nuclear miss these nuclear bombs as they were being dropped from an aircraft if they wanted to avoid tragedy for example they've done a horrible job of doing that haven't they you know if you look at what happened during the second world war probably you know i i I think the Second World War is probably the most horrific thing that humans have ever done. You know, I suppose it depends, you know, that's probably open to interpretation. But me personally, the Second World War, you know, it's like hell opened up on, on the earth. You know, it, it couldn't have been any worse. You know, it, not just what happened with Germany and, you know, the US and, and the UK, you know, and the conflict between those people there, the, those powers there. But what happened between, um, you know, China and Japan, you know, is a part of the Second World War that is massively overlooked, in my opinion. You know, the, the horrors um, that happened between Japan and China, the experimentation facilities that, you know the the horrendous, unspeakable things that they did to other humans, and yeah, the you know the the mass mass murders like the the massacre of Nanking, um, you know the, there's just so many horrendous things that happened during the Second World War, and UFOs did nothing about any of that. I suppose you could argue that there were Foo Fighters present apparently during the Second World War. There were orbs of light which chased around fighter jets and things, or were witnessed by fighter jets and bomber crews. You know, as uh, we've heard about quite a lot recently with Graham Rendell's fantastic book about it. But they didn't really do a great deal to stop, you know, the firebombing of Hamburg. You know, they didn't do a great deal to stop the, the, you know, the unbelievable numbers of people who were just mown down in the First World War. You know, so I don't know about all that. I can't really get my head around it. Why would they be quite happy to let all of these horrors unfold on the planet? But at the same time, they seem to be trying to send us a message to not do horrible things. You know, I suppose you could argue that they want to interfere, but not in a way that is, you know, too, you know, stepping in too much because they want us to find our own path. But I don't know. It's, it's a difficult one. It's one that I've wrestled with quite a bit, but I still haven't really managed to figure out what I exactly think about it. So I guess my pondering and things will uh, will continue. But again, you know, if there's anybody who's got any thoughts on that, always interested to hear. Um, I should probably add as well, actually, you know, don't get me wrong, it's great to hear from people. I love hearing from people, and please do get in touch. But, you know, please also don't be offended if I don't get back to people straight away because um, it is getting a bit more difficult to do that. Um, I get quite a lot of emails these days, again, which is great, and I, I love getting them. So, you know, don't think like I'm saying don't send stuff because send away, especially if you've got UFO videos. I've had a few recently that have been really interesting. I've got um, a uh, secure email as well if anybody wants to send any through. Um, again, not always that easy to get back to people straight away, but it's ufothinker at protonmail.com. 
and I've had a few people sending through actual footage of UFOs, especially from the UK, which has been really, really interesting. Um, and obviously I won't mention any names because hence it's been sent to the secure email, so they may not want me to reveal names. But um, to the if, if you're listening and you sent them, thank you very much. And uh, anybody else has got um, any, any information or videos or any accounts or anything, feel free to send them through. And maybe at some point I'll try and put together a bit of a, an episode about... Uh, you know some some people's actual sightings or some videos and you know maybe even look i would love at some point to actually try and go into the direction of making videos for the you know to go along with the podcast and i can i can do video editing and sound editing and things so that's all a possibility so yeah send them through keep them coming but like i say please don't be uh if i don't reply straight away um you know don't be offended I don't like to, if I get a really long email from someone, I don't really want to just send any a, a quick email back saying, oh, cool, cheers. You know, I want to actually dig into it and respond back. And uh, I have done with a, a number of people who've sent me emails and um, I, I hope to try and get back to as many people as possible. But as I say, it is a bit more difficult these days as, you know, the number of listeners grows and things. But um, as I say, got big plans, you know, for the podcast. It's been a bit hectic recently, but... Uh, the, you know, I've got some really interesting guests lined up as well over the next uh, the next few weeks and months. Now I'm kind of back on it officially again after the baby's arrival. So um, yeah, anybody's got any suggestions as well, by the way, for any guests you'd like to hear on the podcast, let me know because um, it'd be it'd be great to try and get some recommendations from from you know anybody who listens as to who you'd like to see me speak to. So the next little uh, thing on the agenda is the uh, the elephant in the room, um, the skinwalkers at the Pentagon, which is obviously, um, well, obviously if you know, but I'll, I'll go, I'll explain what it is just for anybody who doesn't know. So, Skinwalkers at the Pentagon is a book that was kind of released kind of as a surprise, really. I, I, I certainly wasn't aware of it, and I don't think many people were. I think it was. So I've just dropped out of nowhere uh, to kind of avoid speculation before the release and so on. But it's basically a book which is all about the government's UFO program, um, ORSAP. And it's actually written by uh, James T. Lakatsky, Colm Kelleher and George Knapp. So obviously George Knapp, the uh, the legendary you know reporter, journalist who's, who's been very involved in the, the UFO topic over the years. Uh, James Lukatsky was actually the head of ATIP and um, Colm, Kelleher, Colm Kelleher, it's hard to say that, uh, was one of the uh, the scientists involved in the programme. So the thing is, there's been a lot of confusion. I've been confused about this in the past. Kind of still am in, in a way, uh, but there's been a lot of confusion on Twitter, people not really understanding RSAP and ATAP and the difference, and then there's there's BASS. And that's the thing, it's like if, if you're looking at this topic, which some of these listeners to the podcast may be not that familiar with all this stuff, and it is baffling even if you're somewhat familiar with it. So I just wanted to kind of quickly go into a little bit of background about what these different things are before I actually carry on. So ATIP is the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. ORSAP is the Advanced Aerospace Weapons System Applications Program. And BASS is the Bigelow Aerospace Advanced Space Studies. So those are the three that are going to be particularly important um, with what I'm about to talk about. So essentially what happened was ORSAP 
was came first. That's probably the first thing that you need to know. RSAP came first. And it was conceived as a program to evaluate the threat potential of UAPs. And BAS was an organization specifically created to execute the RSAP contract to evaluate the threat potential of UAPs. And BAS was actually created by Robert Bigelow, who was basically awarded the car, his organization, BAS, was awarded the contract to actually uh, receive funding as and, and, and deliver essentially certain things for the OSAP program. So OSAP was not conceived to study projected advances, advances in uh, aerospace technology except in relation to UAPs. So there's been a lot of people over the over the years that have been speculating, especially kind of skeptics and things, that OSAP, oh, it wasn't a uh, UFO program. It was just there to sort of like find out about new drones and stuff, you know, because obviously there's nothing in the name that suggests UFOs as such, you know, um, probably by design. But, you know, what we're talking about there doesn't actually say, oh, it's the UFO program or anything like that in the, in the name of it. But, again, that's probably intentional. But, actually, no. According to the book, which I've, I've got the book in front of me here, and I'm actually, to, to actually read from it, the exact line is, OSAP was not conceived to study projected advances in aerospace technology, except in relation to UAPs. So, essentially... And again, just directly quoting from the book, actually, it's probably the easiest way to put this across. Quote, From the beginning, ORSAP was determined to cast as wide a net as possible to study all phenomena within the overall rubric of the UAP topic. That meant that if paranormal phenomena were known to co-locate with and overlap temporarily with UAPs, then paranormal phenomena would also be studied by ORSAP. The philosophy of OSAP was to study all phenomena observed in relation to UAPs, unquote. Now, I think that's really interesting. And I think, again, there's been a lot of talk about this book and so on, people slating it, people saying this, that, and the other. But even if you just take away that, OSAP was specifically a UAP a ufo program and it was designed to not only study ufos bearing in mind this is a government program it, this is not just you know some guy who's got a lot of money who's decided to just do some some wacky stuff no this is an actual government program with funding which has been not only to look at you know nuts and bolts craft of other actual flying saucers but to look at much more weird parts of the phenomenon which includes anything you know literally if something seems to happen around the time you see a ufo we're going to look into it and it casts a very wide net in that regard and i think just quickly before we talk any further about that side of things let's talk about the way everything panned out so initially orsap and uh, obviously with bass bigelow's organization set up to to deliver certain things for orsap uh, received this funding uh, over a number of years and what actually happened was in certain communication channels OSAP was actually referred to as the nickname ATIP so ATIP is the what I mentioned earlier and uh, later on down the line 
funding was actually cut, which basically meant that Bass stopped uh, working, you know, in, in, the, in the capacity that had been working. And then RSAP kind of evolved into ATIP with Lou Elizondo as the head of ATIP. Now, it's still a bit confusing to me how a program like ATIP actually gets money because from what I gather here and what the discussions have been online, RSAP actually received the funding of 22 million and ATIP didn't receive that 22 million. It's something that I'm trying to wrap my head around is how does that work? And again, this is probably just my... Um, ignorance really of how it works within US politics but if Lou Elizondo is the head of ATIP after RSAP's ended and the funding's been cut did he get money from somewhere I've heard a few people saying that oh there was some apparent extension he got another 10 million or something for another year or two but I think it's still a bit unclear as to you know where the actual funding came from for ATIP but regardless of that ATIP essentially was a little bit more focused of a program so as I mentioned earlier, RSAP was basically casting a very wide net. And what happened with ATIP was a more focused approach to look specifically at cases that, that you can get more data from and specifically military cases. And one of the very specific cases that ATIP focused on was the Nimitz case. And obviously when Lou Elizondo um, you know, eventually decided to step away from his role uh, and went to TTSA and then TTSA brought forward loads of things that, you know, all the various things that they brought forward, um, one of the more significant cases to come out of all of that was the Nimitz case um, in terms of what was released to the public. But then again, Lou Elizondo says, as, as said numerous times, that actually the footage that's come out is some of the least compelling footage, you know. So there's probably, according to Lou Elizondo, much, much clearer footage. And actually, one of the things that he supposedly mentions in the um, uh, Kurt Jaimungle uh, theories of everything interview that he did just yesterday i saw people mentioning this particular quote that he seems to think there's a hd uh, photograph of craft and the occupants of craft whatever that means and again i've not listened to the full um, interview yet so i wouldn't like to comment any further but that's what i've seen people talking about uh, on twitter today which is just absolutely mind-blowing, isn't it? If you think that there could actually be a photograph of the occupants of craft. But again, whatever the occupants actually means, you know, because there could be it could be occupied by a number of things, couldn't it, really? So quite vague, um, as you'd expect, I suppose. So anyway, moving on to some of the other things then that, that's discussed in the book. Obviously, as you can imagine, I think that one of the things that that's you know, freaks people out or caused a lot of people to uh, dismiss what's in this book um, is the the sheer number of weird things that is discussed within the, the book. Obviously, there's a lot of talk of Skinwalker Ranch. There's a lot of talk of weird beings, entities and creatures and things like that. But we have to remember that that was the point of RSAP, wasn't it? To investigate all kinds of weird things that could potentially be linked to the ufo phenomenon because if you're trying to research something you need to understand the bigger picture and i think that's what they tried to do with orsap and my understanding of it is that you know the the funding was was cut 
partly as a result of certain people trying to frustrate the process on the inside because they didn't agree with the allocation of money. Perhaps that whole thing of um, people having religious allegiances and thinking that, that it was the devil. I mean, let's be honest about it. If you're talking about some kind of creature, you know, that that supposedly has like a that you know is like a, a werewolf type creature and you know it it moves silently across the you know the ground it's got red eyes and all some of the really really strange things that you hear about on Skinwalker Ranch you can kind of understand why if there are people who are completely opposed to the study of these kinds of things they're really going to be turned off by that aren't they whereas if you're looking at something like ATIP um where you're looking at slightly more nuts and bolts perspective or a much more really much more nuts and bolts perspective you could see how the that could that could be allowed to continue whereas looking at like demons from another dimension essentially you know to put it bluntly you're going to turn a few people off aren't you especially if you've got some hardline you know religious people up, up there in the pentagon they're not going to be so keen on that um, and you can, they're going to be thinking there's a lot more open to ridicule and not only that in the public as well and I think one of the reasons Lou Elizondo's perhaps been a little bit lukewarm about this book and he doesn't seem to he speaks very highly of all the people involved but he's not really kind of come out and says yeah yeah everybody should go and check out this book he's, you know he's not really um, retweeted any links to the book and he's not really kind of fully endorsed it himself and I think personally that's because of what i just said he knows that there are certain things in this book which may actually turn out to be related to the phenomenon and definitely are worthy of investigation but he knows firsthand how difficult it is to have that conversation with people who are within the pentagon who've got these religious leanings or with the public you know if you come out to the public and say yeah there's this kind of weird alien monster that comes out of a portal and and you know has moved silently along and then disappears and you know poltergeist activity and things like that which bearing in mind these are all things that are mentioned in the book and as a result of the fact they're mentioned in the book the, these are things that were investigated by orsap you know, because let's not forget, this book is co-authored by the guy who was the program director for ORSAP, you know? Um, but the thing is, I think the reason Lou Elizondo's been a bit hesitant to, to really kind of push the book is because he doesn't, I don't think Lou Elizondo thinks this is the time to have that conversation. I don't think the public are ready for it, and I don't think a lot of people in influential positions are ready for, to have that part of the conversation just yet. And, you know maybe he's right you know maybe the fact is that this book probably won't really have much of a breakthrough to the mainstream anyway so i think it's just take it for what it is it's all fascinating it's very difficult to prove any of it so there's no smoking gun in the book as such but you know there was never going to be because we're talking about something which is extremely hard to pin down you know the skinwalker ranch um, tv show is a bit sensationalist and you know is a bit edited in a way that makes it a bit like you know cliffhangers before every commercial break and things like that you know but the fact is they do find some quite weird things going on on that ranch but it's all very very difficult to actually pin down you know it's when it's being observed you know it's not as easy to actually just take a picture of some kind of weird beast that appears or whatever you know it's a bit more vague than that and I think that was kind of the thing with ATIP. You know, it sounds as though they've gone, right, 
okay, let's fuck. We're getting a lot of opposition here. You know, it's going to be very difficult to have this conversation with the public. So let's put it into, let's just go with ATIP. You know, let's go with looking at military cases, looking at things that you can actually prove, looking at things that you can gather data on. Perhaps we'll push to get more data. And then as a consequence of that, actually managing to gain some traction maybe we can come back to this other stuff later and see how it fits in in a broader context but at the moment it's too soon for that not only is it too soon for that for the public but also for people who are actually opposing those kind of efforts within actual you know these government departments so i think that's probably what's happened uh, there and i think that's also explains why lou elizondo has been a little bit um you know, lukewarm about it. So a couple of other points then that are worth going into. Um, the front cover, a lot of people have slated it. I don't think it's that bad. End of the day, it looks a little bit like a high school art project front cover. But, you know, as the old saying goes, you should never judge a book by its cover, you know. Um, a few people have said there's like a wolf eyes thing going on there and the picture of the Pentagon. You know, look, at the end of the day, it does the job, doesn't it? It's a book cover. You know, what do you want? Picasso. You know, it, it, you know, it's about skinwalkers at the Pentagon. There's some wolf eyes, kind of reminiscent of a skinwalker, and a picture of the Pentagon. Let's just get on with reading the thing. <laughs> Who cares? I mean, obviously, don't get me wrong, I like a good book cover. Like Graham Randall's one, amazing, you know, fantastic. You buy that book just for the cover. But at the end of the day... It is the old saying, isn't it? You don't judge a book by its cover. So that's what I recommend. If you're going to slate the cover, you know, you've kind of missed the point. What, what about what's actually written in the book, you know? But anyway, moving on from that then, a couple of other little pieces, bits and pieces. Something I've heard people discussing quite a bit is the disclaimer at the start. And there was a bit of kind of uh, controversy around a Jeremy Corbell tweet. Um, Jeremy Corbell, no stranger to a nice bit of controversy. Um I don't really have a problem with Jeremy Corbell. I think he's a bit, I mean, you know, he's he sort of a bit full of himself and, you know, a little bit kind of, bit of a hype beast. But at the end of the day, look, you know, it is what it is. He's done a lot. He works with George Knapp. Got to give him a lot of credit for what he has done. Um, uh, but sometimes he kind of words things a little bit badly. And uh, I think this is just a case of that, really. So Jeremy Corbell's uh, tweet is, quote, check out. George Knapp's new book, co-authored with Drs. Kelleher and Lakatsky, ORSAP program managers, get the real story from those directly in charge, authorised by the DOD. Finally, the truth, after most media got it wrong, the program went beyond UFOs, unquote. So he's, he's got a point. I mean, it's, it is authored by, you know, those guys, 100%. Uh, get the real story from those directly in charge with you 100% authorized by the DOD there we have the problem so he's kind of worded that a little bit like the book itself is authorized by the DOD as though they've actually kind of put their weight behind the book and said that yeah this is all legit stuff and he actually included a photograph of the disclaimer so to be fair to him if you just read the disclaimer you're going to understand what it actually means anyway but um a lot of skeptics and stuff jumped on it and said, oh, it's not authorised by the DOD, you idiot, and, you know, the typical things that all these types of people say. But look, all it basically is, just to clarify, is that 
It says, the disclaimer, quote, the views expressed in this publication are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the Department of Defense or the U.S. government. The public release clearance of this publication by the Department of Defense does not imply Department of Defense endorsement or factual ac accuracy of the material. Where appropriate, in order to personally... Uh, protect personally identifiable information and protected health information names and personal details have been changed unquote so basically all that saying is it has to be cleared by the dod because these guys who have actually co-authored the book have probably still got clearances and they have to be very careful about what they actually say in a public publication so at the end of the day all the disclaimer is saying is that it's been cleared for public release by the DOD is the is the done thing with all of this kind of thing, and apparently they've been waiting for I think over a year to actually get the book cleared because it's been probably been over with a fine tooth comb to make sure that they've not said anything that they shouldn't say, and there's a legal procedure because if they accidentally have said something that they shouldn't have said, they could get in a lot of trouble. So that's part of the reason that this thing has been cleared in that way. So essentially, long story short, Corbell was kind of sort of worded it slightly badly as though it's to say that the book's message is authorized by the dod whereas in actual fact what it is is that it's been cleared for public release by the dod but they don't actually endorse any of the things that are said within the book but it's a bit of a non-event really that you know it's just one of them he's, he's worded something slightly off from what he probably should have done and people have jumped on it and started saying this this and this but i think the skeptics are just a bit kind of scrabbling around for um you know for something to jump on really and obviously there's a couple of things they can jump on there first of all you know they're going to be a bit the skeptics are going to be a bit gutted because they've been saying oh so that wasn't anything to do with ufos for a long time turns out you were wrong on that big time because it was there really was a ufo program in the u.s government which had a lot of funding millions and millions of pounds and actually looked into a lot of things to do with ufos not just nuts and bolts craft and that for me like i said earlier is the big takeaway from this there really was a, a massively well-funded ufo program which looked into all kinds of areas of weird things around you at the ufo topic and the skeptics are a bit you know a bit burned by that really at the end of the day because a lot of these people have been claiming that that wasn't the case you know and the ATIP was oh it was just like they were looking at you know drones and stuff and blah 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 well nope it actually was not that you know and that is you can't you can't um you know under underestimate the importance of that that is huge you know and again there's no smoking gun in this book there's no kind of you know absolute like chapter that you read that changes you know everything that you thought but what it really does is or i mean at least it didn't for me but but what it definitely does do is it confirms that orsap genuinely was you know a, a big thing and it has to do exactly with ufos and no uncertain terms there so that bit of doubt is completely gone you know all these skeptics and debunkers and people that have been saying that it wasn't anything to do with ufos people are reading too much into it blah 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 just that was just false you know so and the, the skeptics then obviously jump on the thing of saying oh you know it's werewolves and just loads of nonsense and bigfoot and things like that and they just go back to the usual thing of ridiculing it all but look at the end of the day the 
you know, very high up people within the American government have actually put vast amounts of money and effort into looking into these things uh, because they believe there's an importance to it. And that in itself is fascinating. Whatever else you kind of conclude from it, that's fascinating. And it's a very big story worth talking about. But as I say, you know, when you actually consider then the progression of how all of that went, you've got you know, ORSAP, which now we know a lot more about as a result of this book, that eventually kind of, you know, merged into or became evolved into ATIP with Lou Elizondo in charge. And then when Lou Elizondo left, Eric Davis and a few others have said that actually ATIP did continue. And now obviously bringing it up to, to present day, we've also now got the UAP task force. And I think it's safe to assume that there's also probably other UFO programs that have been going on, maybe before ORSAP at the same time as ORSAP. Who knows how many there are? There may be a, a, you know, four or five, and maybe even more than that. And there's probably, as well as the UAP task force, there's, it seems logical to me that there's got to be others going on as well, probably the ones that the public won't find out about for many, many years. But you know, the, the Pentagon denied that there was an ATIP you know, they denied that they were looking into UFOs, that they denied there was anything to it, and all of that turned out to be lies. So they're probably doing the same thing right now, you know, which is fascinating, really, but also frustrating. But that just kind of is what it is, really. So another really interesting case that I thought I'd mention from the book then before we finish up, because my voice is going, <clears throat> talking like this relentlessly for uh, over an hour is sometimes... You know, takes more of a toll in your throat than you think. But um, basically, um, medical and physical effects was something that was looked into quite significantly. And there was one particular case which was really interesting of a biotech engineer. Again, as mentioned in the actual uh, disclaimer at the beginning, a lot of these names have been changed or no names have been supplied, obviously to protect the uh, um, the privacy of the individuals. Well, this particular biotech engineer apparently was in a car with his daughter who saw baseball-sized light balls um, nearby and that they actually passed through the car and through the man himself, actually went through his shoulder apparently. And then this individual actually then suffered very significant effects and developed some kind of a rare form of cancer. And the day after, kind of all numbness down one side of his body and things like that. So that was a really interesting story because we're talking about an actual case where somebody has seen, you know, light balls, baseball sized. So actually very small as well, which is quite unusual because I was. Um, thinking uh, the other day about Lou Elizondo talking about these various types of craft, the various types of vehicles. So as I've discussed before on the podcast, you've got your three types. There's the smaller saucers and discs, medium, you've got your Tic Tacs and your cylindrical objects, like a, almost like a telephone pole, he's, he's, he's called it in the past. And then you've got your large ones, which are almost exclusively triangles and boomerangs. And the interesting thing is, you know, now we've actually got real confirmation that we've got these little baseball-sized light balls. Now, what what are they? You know, is that that can't be a vehicle, can it? Or can it? You know, so that it's it's a fascinating how much this this book actually opens up of of 
different aspects of the phenomenon and they could all be linked there could be various different phenomena going on here you know some of them might be just natural phenomena that just happen on the earth that we don't understand yet some kind of gap in our physics knowledge some of it might actually be vehicles some of it might be probes you know we just we don't know there's so much that we really don't know about that's kind of one of the main things that i came away from this and you know the threat to national security thing the threat narrative as people mention you know is it a threat to national security the the, the phenomenon in general yes absolutely it is and look we're talking about orbs passing through people and giving them cancer you know you know what what's the intent of that is that an attack is that by accident you know is is it what is that i mean you hear a lot about the love and light brigade talking about our orbs are these wonderful beings full of love and all the rest of it well it wasn't being full of love for that guy was it you know so you know that that kind of ties in with that whole thing of the threat narrative we have no idea what these things are in some cases people have had terrifying abduction experiences in quite a large number of cases in fact not just rare ones some cases people have had amazing experiences sometimes people have seen orbs and been full of you know feelings of love and gratitude other times people have seen orbs and they've passed through them and given them cancer you know it's it's a complicated topic and that really was highlighted by the reading of this book for me and again you know so important to remember if anybody tries to make out that they've got all the answers to this stuff they're absolutely telling you a pack of lies because nobody knows what's going on here you know this is 22 million pounds was spent by this government department and it sounds to me like they didn't get much further figuring out what the hell was going on here or maybe they did and we just don't know that yet but look you know there's so many people in the ufo topic who claim to have all the answers and and you know just listen to my podcast and donate to my patreon and uh, i'll give you all the answers but mate you don't know all the answers nobody does you know i don't think luella zondo knows all the answers as he's said himself many many times and the skeptics don't know all the answers everybody's just got little tiny bits of the puzzle and we're all trying to put it together so i'm gonna go before my voice starts to go even further but um i hope you've enjoyed listening to this it's good to be back i'll tell you that and uh if you're if you've listened all the way through you are a hardcore listener of the podcast as i always say so thank you very much and um like i say nice to be back very very relieved that my daughter has arrived into the world safely and um yeah keen to crack on with the future of the podcast and try and dig further into this fascinating area and try and find out some more uh, and get to the truth hopefully so thank you very much for listening till next time take it easy stay curious and i'll catch you in the next episode UFO Podcast.